What's up, everybody? It's your boy MC Murr here, and welcome back to the Modern Core Gamer Podcast, the premier gaming podcast for all gamers, new to old, everyone in between. Joining me, as always, my co-host, Triple J, J-Town James Jonan. What's going on, James? How's it going, guys? And as always, the captain who always makes it happen, Captain Retro. What's up, Captain? What's up, man? Getting it like I give it. Well, you know, we're going to start out today with something new. We've got some listener mail for the first time, and I... I'm excited about that. Yeah, we got some listener mail from none other than Fish and Chips. Fish and Chips says, I love the podcast so far. I do have a question, though, for the next episode. What are y'all's thoughts on DK Oldies and the drama there? And, you know, I told Fish and Chips, I said, you know, I almost did pencil in a piece on that. And I really did. I just wasn't going to talk about that on the pod. But since he brought it up, we are going to talk about it for a minute. The DK Oldies thing is running rampant, has run rampant across the YouTube platform. It is not something that I have opted to do a video on. And there's a specific reason for that. And it has nothing to do with DK Oldies or any feelings that I might have towards. I mean, I've never done business with. The reason I have not done a video on that is because my business model the way I've gotten my collection to the size it is. I didn't do that by doing business with companies like that. And I'm not saying anything negative about them when I say that. I'm just saying, I don't know what's the deal with the big craze right now of paying retail plus to mom and pop shop, online retailers like that. But that's not what we do on my show, right? I'm the guy getting stuff out of the trash bin for a dollar, refurbishing it, and it's fan that that's what we're doing right we're supposed to be gaming on a budget i took a look at the dk oldie site and i was amazed because i was like okay well it's going to be ebay prices on stuff it's going to be expensive but no i mean i saw a ps2s being sold for two hundred dollars yeah it's far over ebay if i'm not mistaken <laughs> i mean wasn't that what they were when they were brand new i was like i mean so again i'm not trying to throw any shade on on the company i've never dealt with them i'm not going to tell you anything about them i mean we've seen in the videos that people are making and the, there's way too many of them i mean there's creators that are on like their 20th video you know they're buying these things they're getting systems and they're getting them and apparently they're messed up or they're dirty or they don't work or any combination of those things and okay i mean i could see wanting to make a video about that if if that happens, I mean, you certainly want to let other people know that, hey, I had a bad experience here. That's with anything, restaurant, hotel, stay, whatever, you know, that, that that's what it's for. But now everybody's just making wild orders and, oh, I got something else and it's messed up. I got something else and it's messed up. And it's just like, okay, well then just stop. <laughs> yeah, almost giving them business by making, you know, and any businesses or any, uh, all news is good news. Any presses, any bad yeah, press, any press, bad is, press good is good press. press. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, I, I can, I'm looking at an article here about this situation right now, and it's just kind of complaining about their prices. Like they're asking $359.99 for a used 500 gig PlayStation 4 with one controller. Wow. From what I understand, yeah, pricing and condition are the biggest things that they're the problems people have with them. Don't buy it. I mean, who's complaining? Like, I, I don't understand the, the today's culture and all this complaint. Like, they're obviously selling it at that price or they wouldn't price it that way. And if they're ripping people off, that's, you know, it's kind of the consumer's job to know when they're getting ripped off or to at least look into alternate means of, you know what I mean? I, I have a hard time siding with the people complaining about price stop buying from them you know what i mean it's an easy way to stop that don't don't buy them no, no more well i guess that's my question with it and to answer this question better again because he's asking specifically about the drama right it, it doesn't everything's drama now this is what i'm really just over i don't know when gaming ter- has turned into drama because it's gone mainstream and that's 
probably the number one biggest entertaining factor in anything to anyone is when you add drama into it. So now we have people making orders so that they can complain about orders. It's like eating a doo-doo sandwich so that you can tell me how bad it tasted, but I don't need you to tell me that more than once. And you're fueling the machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't need you to tell me that more than once. And I'm like you, sure. If they can, again, I'm not trying to throw shade at the company. If they can get $200 out of you for a PS2, I, I mean, I'm, I would certainly take $200 for a PS2. If you want to give it to me, I would feel bad about it because I'm honest to a fault. But my question, I don't want to answer questions with a question either, but who is buying this? I mean, it's, it's been, it's easier now than it's ever been before to shop things around. I have to imagine a large portion, just like a GameStop is probably, you know, these teens who see YouTubers getting into retro stuff and they say, oh, mom, I want this. And then the mom doesn't, you know, mom and dad, you know, at a certain point of richness, just don't care. (laughs) They're just going to go online, Google it. First place they're going to see is DK oldies. They're going to buy it and give it to them for Christmas. There you go. I can see you having an honest to a fault issue selling something for 200 bucks that's worth, let's say 100. But it's also coming from you, who I personally know would be cleaning the object, going through and testing everything about it, making sure it's a top notch issue of whatever it is you're selling. Sure. Uh, So that, again, the only problem I have with it is if you're selling crap stuff at ridiculous prices and getting away with it. And I'm guessing you can't do refunds if you get something that's not, you know what I mean? Like, sounds like they might be. It sounds like there's no way to, and I, I, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any indication on their site of whether or not you're getting complete in box. There's not a difference in pricing on that. I don't think it's just like GameStop's website. You can't request complete in box. You buy the game and you don't, you know, maybe you're going to get it complete. Maybe you're not. Bad business practices. Yes. And don't run your business like that. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I I'm, I fall on both sides of it. I see that. I see the negatives, but I also see the, you know, it, this is business and it's cutthroat and, if you can get away with it, brother, get paid for it. But then circling back a third time to the, you know the drama there, that's the question. So I'm asking, why are we still talking about this? That's all. I mean, it's there are so many other options out there. Why are we still? I mean, and of course, I know the obvious answer for views, right? That's and I can I can see some people are really getting annoyed with still having to hear about this thing for the same reason we can't fault them for trying to get top dollar. We can't fault creators for trying to get views either because yeah. you got to go where the views are. The question is, why does anybody want to view that i don't blame creators i've got to question the viewer when i do a video about how to get things absolutely free that underperforms and then over here this person's telling you how to overpay times 10 for something that's not even going to work right and that's the more interesting thing to you i mean i can't sound i'm only going to sound salty when i say that there's no other way for it to come across but is it not a legit question why is that interesting i mean at, at this point we've already figured out that this may not be the best route to go down to collect retro through to obtain these items through and yet no one can turn their attention away from it they're locked in until it stops being the high I don't understand it and again this might be us turning you know mid 40s and like the music's just too darn loud we don't get it anymore <laughs> I don't think it is I don't think it I is who, who wants to pay who wants to pay 200 bucks for something that's on every flea market table from here to Oxnard for 20 right. bucks? Who's doing it? And if you want to do it, that's fine. But we don't need to sit here and talk about it. We don't need to make 15 videos about it. And when it blows up in your face, literally, when you get it back and it's a broken turd, again, I expect people to make a video saying, hey, I had a bad experience here. Maybe you don't want to go and, uh, and and do business with these guys. But at the same time, even if it was a good experience, you paid way too much money for it. And I don't understand why that would be interesting. This 
website that I'm looking at this article on, and the article is using price charting as a way to tell you what you know the price should be compared to what DK Oldies is charged. Price charting is owned by JJ Games out of New York, which is another online retailer of retro games and has been since the late 80s they are i did not know that i mean i i know i know of jj games i was not aware of that well yes jj games runs price charting and and how do you think they you know they could be sitting on a stockpile of russian attacks and it's going for eight bucks and they're like okay well let's let's you know flood the market with them and then or, or the reverse of that. They, you know what I mean? That guy's in control of a huge amount of games. He, I believe he's the person who bought out Funko Land. I'm pretty sure he is the Funko Land guy. He bought all the Funko Land stock and is sitting on an enormous stockpile. At any moment, he could manipulate the market with his ability to, to produce said games. I'm sure he's got a, you know, 500 Earthbounds complete in box just waiting. Now, can I compare and contrast this? Because I would say probably 12, 13, maybe more years ago, I did business with JJ Games. I was purchasing Game Lot from their eBay account, and the items I was getting were refurbished and they were they were done really well the discs were like mirror buffed like the the best buff jobs i have ever seen they have a retail shop in new york city down in manhattan i've been to it it's incredible and i would imagine that they do run you know a pretty clean shop on the stuff they're selling i'm just saying the guy is a multi-millionaire and and runs this price charting website and how can you trust that when it's run by a guy who owns a bunch of games i mean i guess you can't but i just thought it was interesting that because i haven't even heard that name i don't even think i've seen it on ebay in ages but i have actually talked back and forth with jj myself through messages and uh when i asked i asked i flat out asked this is before i was in the business of resurfacing discs i said man how do you get these so beautiful and he said that he had worked with blockbuster years ago and ended up one way or another inheriting one of their drum style resurfacing machines from a closed down store he probably bought it from them when they closed the location and uh and this is one of those like five thousand dollar super duty ones the o- the only way you can really achieve that great of a buff so that, that was interesting to me these are the ones that go down inside right. a machine and it, it's a wet job and it comes out right. perfect and it's just like you can't even tell the disc isn't new but again, yeah, that's that's interesting to, to bring that name up there. We're sitting here talking about a company that a lot of people, I guess, are pretty upset with right now. And and they're using another company's, you know, standard against them, I guess, is what I want to say. is like people don't know. You got to know. That's why, you know, getting into the reseller market years ago and going to conventions, you learn a lot of things about a lot of things. But anyway, that's our... Uh listener mail and i urge any of you that want to ask questions you know hit me up on the youtube channel in the future uh we're going to make sure that we have an email that you can write into you can always comment on the uh podcast let us know what you think would love to hear from you that's where i'm going to leave that topic i mean as far as the dk oldies drama it's it's a non-troversy it's just not an issue okay if dealing with them is an issue just don't do it you're acting like that's the only place to get something i don't understand for the life of me why people are going through those routes to get retro game stuff consoles accessories games there's just too many other ways to do it even act like more than one time with this company would be necessary if that's the way it was going so and can i just say uh Big thank you to for Fish and Chips for listening. Yeah. And for the question. We're, we're moving right into our news segment right now. James, what do you got for us in news this week? Hit us with it. Well, I'm pretty excited to talk about this because I get to talk about Starfield today. Ooh. There was a release date slash delay.
they kind of announced a few weeks ago. Bethesda announced last week that its landmark release, the open galaxy role-playing Starfield, will be delayed once again, moving from spring 2023 to a hard release date of September 6, 2023. You gotta imagine that with a hard release date, they're probably kind of confident about that. Alongside the announcement was on June 11th, they're gonna do a Starfield Direct. They're gonna show us a lot more of a deeper dive in this still fairly mysterious title that you know we've known this has existed for darn near 10 years now and still don't know barely anything about it. This date coincides with Microsoft's Summer Showcase, which is taking a place just before E3, or rather when E3 would have been uh, right. RIP. Now, release really date in itself isn't that important. It's not really newsworthy on a whole, but I want to use this story as a Trojan horse to ask a bigger question. Sure. Will Starfield live up to the hype? Can it live up to the hype? And more so, can Microsoft and Bethesda even afford for it to fail at this point? Now, financially, of course, they can afford for it to fail. But I think as far as reputation goes, there's a lot of uh, pressure on this game to perform. I think uh, when something has this much hype, like when you're talking about the the practical fate of a console's future based on something like that, I don't think it can because nothing does. Nothing ever lives up to its hype enough because gamers today are way more critical than they need to be because it's fashionable and that's part of it some of them genuinely are that critical and that's it's still an excess so i don't know what it could do to deliver yeah it's practically the half-life 3 of our generation Mm -hmm. now that half-life 3 has actually come out but i want to give a little bit of background here on why this is so important. Obviously, we know why it's so important, but I think it's even more important than people realize. Starfield is being set up to be the third pillar in Bethesda Softworks' body of work, which currently includes Elder Scrolls and Fallout. This is going to be the third one of those. Those are big shoes to fill. Big shoes. And while it was officially announced in 2018, Bethesda licensed the name Starfield back in 2013. If you worked in a video game store or were on forums, you've known this name long before 2018. I don't even know where we knew it, but we knew what Starfield was and what its name was long before it was announced at E3. So these rumors have been going on since probably 2013 when it was licensed. Add to that, Bethesda's kind of stumbled ever since Skyrim's release. Fallout 4 was criticized as feeling dated even at launch. I don't even need to tell you about Fallout 76. It's practically a meme at this point. And even their beloved Skyrim is kind of a meme at this point because they've re-released and recycled this thing so many times they've kind of watered down its, impa- its Listen, impact. Listen, you play it on the TI-86 like calculator, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. At the point you could play it on a Switch, it just got to be too much. Now at even another layer of pressure. Most of you probably remember Bethesda's parent company, Zenimax Media, was purchased by Microsoft in 2021 for a staggering 7.5 billion with a B dollars. Ever since Microsoft's acquisition fest back then, when they were buying every company that fit in the burlap sack, they've been kind of laying low, locked up in the workshop with dozens of awesome looking projects, but nothing was really coming out and nothing to this day really has. Sure, Psychonauts 2, Hi-Fi Rush, Pinament, these are really cool games coming out of some of those acquisitions, but none of these are AAA. None of these are Skyrim. None of these warrant $7.5 billion. Right. This will be the first game that Microsoft releases that's on that scale since they spent billions of dollars on acquisitions so i ask again can this live up to that pressure i'm just gonna say no for all the reasons that i mentioned and more it's too much it's already too much it may be fantastic but there's still gonna be people very critical of it it could be a 10 out of 10 and it almost still won't be enough right and then people will accuse them of, you know, greasing some palms to get the 10 out mm-hmm. of 10. or well, We see that all the time because people argue there cannot be a perfect game. And maybe there can't. But yeah, again, just circling back to what I said, it's, it's too much hype 
And when you have something that drags out for as long as a, of a timeline as this has, mm-hmm. all that there is for it to do is to gather hype if it's still going to happen, if it still exists. So, And what they've shown us so far, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I, over a thousand planets, that seems like a, you know, a little No Man's Sky. <laughs> and, you know, no one wants to be compared to that. Obviously, No Man's Sky has kind of picked up where they, uh, you know, where they fell and become a really cool thing. But a game like Skyrim, a game like, you know, Fallout doesn't really work in procedural generation, in my opinion. And while they say they've got an answer to that and they were using more of a tile system, so everything feels more deliberate, I still have to wonder how many of those thousand planets are actually interesting. And just watching gameplay so far, it just kind of feels like a, it looks like a Mass Effect meets No Man's Sky, but if not a little bit more plain and sterile. NASA punk is a term I've been th- seeing thrown a lot, around a lot about it. Okay. And I'm sure it's going to be great. What I'm afraid of is this thing's probably going to be an 8.5 or a 9 out of 10, and that's just not going to be enough. That's going to be considered a failure because of the hype surrounding this thing and the amount of money that's gone into it. Imagine the bar being that high. But whatever the stakes, I can't wait to get my hands on it. There's sure. nothing out there quite like a, a Bethesda RPG. Nothing scratches that itch. Nothing scratches that itch. <laughs> and hopefully Starfield kind of will. Interesting stuff. So, Captain, I'm sure you got some news for us as well. What do you got for us? Well, as I mentioned last time, I've got me a PS5 and I'm I'm looking forward to the VR. I have not bought the new headset yet, but I'm looking at reports and things about it. And it's just not looking great. Uh, right off the bat here for the PS2 or the PSVR2, Sony's highly anticipated next cutting edge virtual reality headset. Uh, it promised immersive gaming experience. However, the launch has faced several challenges. One significant issue was the high price of the headset. The VR2 was priced at $599, which is more expensive than the original VR released in 2016. The high price makes it challenging for many gamers to justify the purchase of a second headset, a new headset. Another challenge is the limited game library at launch. It's it's kind of weak. It's a couple ports and a couple games made ex- exclusively for it, but we've talked about this before in past episodes. Technical issues, poor tracking, compatibility problems with some games. You know, There's all kinds of things all over the map, and it's looking like they've only maybe managed to squeak out a little under 300,000 sales so far. And that's just very weak considering how well the PS5 itself is doing and and all the other factors that go into it. So I don't know if that's a a hammering nail to a coffin for VR, but I I sure hope not because I just had a lot of fun with the VR on my PS4 and I was expecting to have more fun with it on the PS5 when I can afford that scratch to to get the next headset. But they're still pretending like they're competing with uh, these larger like PC headsets when their real competition is the Quest. Yeah, the Oculus too. That's a, you know, three, yeah, I, the, on a three to four hundred dollar standalone headset that has no barrier of entry like owning a playstation right. already and already has hundreds of games you're like you know you're, i feel like that's their biggest competition and in. they should have been thinking high yeah they really should have been thinking more about competing with that than competing with the other big yeah. guys or at least bring because, more to yeah, the yeah. playing field like i need you need a, a whole station that comes with this vr system that you're standing in and it's got body motion suit and you know what i mean like you can feel the hits <laughs> on your body at best or something yeah you either have to be high end or low end but if you're going for middle end you're, yeah you're not you're really just, scratch you're not really pleasing anybody no and i feel like that's exactly where they stand right now is that middle ground there it's a very like you know all reviews say this thing's great yeah. Does in, who's the market? So I read a recent report that they're only projecting sales of about 250,000 units by the end of this month. And well, we're at the end of this month now, so I don't know if that's even been hit or not. Uh, and we've talked about this in past episodes of this podcast that I don't want to say it's priced too high. I mean, it's it's 
nice equipment, right? If that's what it costs to make it and to turn a profit on it, then okay, that's what the PSVR2 costs. But regardless of any of that, any product can price itself out to the point where people are just going to be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to spend that. Is that where they are? I mean, is is it just too high? Do they have to make this cheaper in order to sell it? And can they? I think something else they could do, they could keep it at its current price and make it like the Quest does a PC headset as well. I think PlayStation's kind of standing in their own way here. They always want everything to be proprietary. They always plug this thing into a PC and use it as a PC headset in the same way that you can a Quest. That would be amazing. That would probably double the number of people who are willing to buy it right out the gates. How long do you think till that gets hacked by somebody? Because that's all the rage too is jailbreaking things and figuring out ways around stuff. And if it, I mean, Sony needs to do that to it before somebody else does, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you never know because I got the, the Microsoft connect is still being used as a uh, VR body yeah, ghost hunting device device today. You so- can track ghosts with it. <laughs> Amazing. So what I've seen in the news recently, and it really made me scratch my head and some may argue that it's not too soon to talk about this. I would argue that it is PS6 launch date. They're already seeing reports of this console being made available sometime after 2027. And, you know, that's a good guess based on what we know console timelines are but this is based on reports that have come up showing that sony's claiming microsoft is only offering to keep call of duty available on the playstation until 2027 and that maybe launch of a new console has something to do with throwing a counter punch to that and at the same time it's hard for me to believe we're ever going to be in a scenario where i can't play call of duty on both consoles but again this seems largely like nothing but speculation i can't even believe that we're gonna even utter the term ps6 when you did i my mouth the, fell open and i was like i just bought a ps5 what do you and it's okay you're like four <laughs> four years away that's and again better. that's a that's guess a right even though they're claiming these this is off an actual report that's a guess just based on the lifespan of consoles i'm guessing that they have nowhere to go I, i'm arguing that a ps6 has no business existing. This PS5 says it can do 8K. We don't even have 8K games. PS5s are going to end up becoming a discardable footnote in the history of gaming. I'm already actually regretting buying one. I really I, am. I, everything I've played so far could be played on my PS4. It doesn't seem like I've, yes. I yes, have sir. not seen the console generation leap. Because get this. I get the PS5, right? So I get a banging new monitor, 4K. This thing's going to do some amazing stuff, top of the line, right? I can't get it to put out 4K (laughs) on the monitor. And you know why? Circling back to what James was just talking about, the proprietary bullcrap with Sony, only certain monitors are compatible to display oh, no. 4K from Sony, the Sony consoles. Yeah, it's like, what, what, no, it's, you don't decide what you want to put out. It's 4K or it isn't. Wow. So I ended up returning the, the monitor because it wasn't compatible. Wow. With the console, because who would have even guessed, right? And I'm not getting that from Sony. I'm getting it from Asus, you know, from the company that made the monitor. And it's like, well, obviously they know what they're talking about, right? It's their product. Well, let me tell you, I'm playing my PS4 and my PS5 through an 1999 possibly a 2001 emerson with an hdmi and a dvd built into it and i can't tell the difference between <laughs> any either of them but yeah the ps6 release date apparently there's an article flying around out there that the ps5 pro has already entered production 
And uh, it's awfully soon for that. That bad looks there too, because we've already had a scenario in which the PS5s were impossible to get. Then some of them were coming out, but the rumor was that they were made more cheaply to get them rushed to production. There was the rumor and speculation, but the PS5 you might have gotten may not be as good as some of the ones that came out at launch. And I have to wonder that because I hear you guys not happy with your consoles. And I've been, you know, my computer is probably way more powerful than my PS5, but I'm still really happy with my PS5 and I do have a day one launch PS5. Oh, I'm not, I'm not against it. Yeah. I'm not, I, I like my PS5. It's as, it's as good to me as the PS4 is, which just makes me sad because the PS4 is still just good. It's it's more so that I just don't need it. And I thought I did. And I'm a hundred percent to blame for that. But to, I guess it just kind of puts this whole talk in perspective that if we're already talking about PS6, pump the brakes. I don't care if it is, you know, four or five years from now, I'm arguing that we won't even need it then. I'm arguing that what we have here now is still going to be state of the art then because the art doesn't have anywhere else to go. I feel like they're, I think they're going to have to pump the brakes because they're, you know, that date pretends like the shortage didn't happen, pretends like the pandemic didn't happen. This isn't a regular generation. It never has been. No. Since day one, there have been so many monkey wrenches thrown into all of this. And that's not including just if you want to talk about the chip shortage. Correct. Is the chip shortage over? I don't think it is. I still hear companies like Honda and GM and Ford can't get these chips. If they can't get these chips, then I don't think that Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft are are getting them either in the numbers they probably need. There just aren't enough PS5 users yet, and I don't think there will be for a long time. PS4 was one of the best-selling consoles of all time. The number of users on PS4 is incredible, and it just doesn't make sense. You know, like it didn't make for sense for them to drop off too soon. You also don't want to pump out another system yeah. too soon because you kind of lose that customer trust. I've seen very few games that really take advantage of this thing. And I do feel like there being more PS4 users than PS5 users is why I feel like no one's optimizing this for PS5. They're optimizing it for PS4. So we're still got people on the next gen are still kind of being uh, bottlenecked by older users. And it'll probably be years before they're not. Now talking about Call of Duty in the mix and that being something pivotal in this whole thing, to be fair, Sony did engage in these types of practices, similar ones, early in the PS4's life cycle in which they took control of a certain part of that game's releases as exclusives, DLC, stuff like that, that were only available on the PS4 system. And, you know, they were getting the earlier launch dates and, you know, early access or whatever they were getting, you were getting smacked around on Microsoft, but you got it earlier on Sony. I think that if the shoe was on the other foot, they would certainly play that card. So if Microsoft does aim to eventually not offer Call of Duty on Sony consoles anymore. Did Sony start this fight? I mean, uh, are they the ones that really picked this fight? Is this gloves on or off? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you really don't see that push like you did last generation. I kind of think that's a consumer friendly thing. I think it's them admitting that the average customer just doesn't have access to this stuff yet. And I have to also ask, how much of a factor is this really after this many years? Who doesn't have both systems by now? I've never been one to understand the console wars from the perspective of, don't you end up with both of them? I mean, that may be a little tone deaf to some, but I don't know. I just, I didn't pay for any of the consoles from that gen because I do things the way that I do. And I ended up with enough trade credit to pay for both. So don't you end up with an Xbox One and a PS4? Aren't you going to end up with a Series X and a PS5 too at some point? Is this really that big of a deal? And does PS5 just end up, like I said, a discardable footnote? Is this a half gen? I will say the Xbox One made me so mad that I will not be picking up a Series X. So I understand that. 
even even when prices come down, I could care less. Uh, Microsoft lost a customer, and I was a huge Xbox 360 supporter and banger and waver of flag for and tell everybody I knew that you needed to buy this machine because it's incredible and don't worry about the red ring of death because they're going to fix it. And like, oh, the one just soured me so much. I don't want to get too far off topic, but I think Microsoft, I think this is the last console gen for Microsoft. Ooh. I think from here on out, we're gonna, you're going to start seeing Game Pass as an app on your TV. It's all going to be cloud gaming. And mm-hmm. I think Xbox I will probably be the first one to roll that out and everyone else might be a little slower to adopt but i do think the next tv you buy if it's in the next you know 8k tv you end up buying will probably come pre-installed with a game pass app and a free one month subscription and you just cloud game over that what about stadia 2 <laughs> stadia was ahead of its time <laughs> but it's gonna be it's gonna end up being that dreamcast or you know like the yeah. sega's Se- sega genesis online capability you know that never really neo geo pocket bro yeah, it's, it's gonna so be cool. that thing it's just it came out a little too early for people to be ready for it but yeah potential ps6 release dates talking after 2027 i mean i don't need it now and i won't need it then All right, so moving into our next segment, what we've been playing. Captain, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Well, if you know the Captain and you know my gaming history, I am a huge fan of point-and-click games and mystery-solving, murder mystery games, horror-themed games, uh, anything to do with the macabre. I'm a big fan of it. So lately, uh, due to my... um, PlayStation 5 playing through my PlayStation 4. I was like, I was at a pawn shop. Yes, it was a pawn shop uh, recently, and I picked up three or four games, and one of them happened to be Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishment over on the PS4, but I'm playing it through my crossplay on the PS5, which is totally rad. It's a thrilling detective game that takes place in a Victorian era London. It's great. One of the standout features of the game is the attention to detail. The game's graphics are stunning, capturing the intricate details of 19th century London from the cobblestone streets to the dimly lit alleyways. Every location feels authentic and immersive. The gameplay mechanics are equally impressive. As Sherlock Holmes, players must use their wits to solve each case, gathering clues, interviewing suspects, and piecing together evidence to uncover the truth. The game rewards players for thoroughness and attention to detail. One of the unique features of Crime and Punishment is its emphasis on moral choices. As players progress through the game, they are presented with a series of decisions that can ultimately affect the outcome of the case. Uh, And it's kind of based on your intuition. So there may or may not be multiple answers to a crime you solve and you, as Sherlock, can, based on your, how you feel about the situation, kind of, is how you go with your conclusion to said case, if that makes sense. In the very first case I did, I felt like I knew who the killer was, but I thought there was an, uh, an extenuating circumstance and or a reason for the crime to have happened the way it did so i made my conclusion as such basically where i said that you know this guy is the 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 killer but there's this reason why he did it then that's going to possibly unlock other things down the road here due to my moral compass basically uh which i think is a very cool unique feature for any kind of game to have i love i loved la noir i really i really played that game into the dirt i must have played that probably 20 times all the way through with my friends and having different people hang out with me and like let's watch this together and play and make choices and you see if you can figure out what's going on. I just love it. I, I, I In a former life, Kevin became a detective. <laughs> <laughs> that all sounds great. All of those bullet points are right in my alley. I, I love it. Uh, the voice acting is also superb, man. The guy, I'm not sure who the names of the people are. The guy playing Sherlock Holmes is great. The guy playing Mycroft, his brother, is great. Obviously, Watson is, is, is well done, too. It's it's made by a Ukrainian video game developer called Frogware, or Frogwares, I guess, is their name, Frogwares. That's cool. 
and they uh, released it in 2014 for PC, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and the Xbox One. And I'm playing it through the X or the PS4. So I love it. It's it's so far so good. I, it's one of those games that's right up the captain's alley, and I'm all about it. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic, uh, James. I know you never stop playing. What are you playing right now? I'm hyped to talk about this today because I finally get to talk about Resident Evil 4 Remake, which uh, I was originally going to have an upcoming at one point when the demo came out. But now I'm playing the game and I'm I, I'm darn near over with the game. Not that it's short. It's actually longer than the original, which a lot of people thought was very long for a, a Resident Evil game. But let's get into this. 18 years ago, Capcom took a huge gamble with one of their biggest franchises, abandoning static pre-rendered backgrounds for a more action-oriented over-the-shoulder camera, adding a new gridded inventory system, which is now synonymous with survival horror there's even a a game called safe room that is literally just resident evil 4's inventory system as a puzzle game you just (laughs) do over and over and it's fantastic That's crazy. On top wow. of all these wild decisions, it was a timed exclusive to the Nintendo GameCube. Not a lot of people remember that. Resident Evil 4 was a GameCube exclusive for quite some time. Oh, yeah. When it had been you know, previously tied to PlayStation almost religiously for every entry before that. I don't even know if some of them got you know cross-platform until they started getting GameCube ports. Am I wrong or was there a limited edition that was like a, a, a chainsaw remote control? Oh, there absolutely was. Very cool. Don't go on eBay and check the prices on that chainsaw. You won't like what you see. <laughs> <laughs> right. The result of that gamble is what is now widely considered one of the most important games of the era and possibly the best RE game, if not maybe one of the best survival horror games of all time. In fact, RE4 was so good that many argued it didn't really need a remake at all. Um, you know, you can go back to this game and it holds up really well, you know, visually, maybe not as much as some, but the bones of this game are just fantastic and really hold up because of how influential it's been. So 20 hours into this thing, do I think it justified a full remake? The short answer is yes. If you've seen the piles of nines and tens this thing's getting, you could have guessed that. But it also stays a lot closer to the source material than you might think. They've already remade RE2. They've already made Resident Evil 3. These games were old school tank controls. You know, these games really, really needed remakes. And when they decided to remake these things, they made them more like four because four was the obvious go to of what just felt natural for these kind of games now. So all they had to do with the four remake was essentially put it in a new engine and give it a few tweaks. The third person over the shoulder gameplay is still mostly intact. They didn't really have to change much because they popularized this feature. If a lot of people don't remember, but you know, every third person shooter game these days is plays just like RE4. They oh, didn't yeah. before that. You know, Gears of War Gears and of Resident Evil 4 basically hammered this gameplay into modern games. Yeah. I'm making it sound like this is a, you know, a modern one for one remake. It's not at all. You know, while some of the the base mechanics are all still there, they've added some small differences like knife durability, which they had for the last few games, because that really does balance the game. You could really have played this whole thing with a knife back in the day and no one wants that. They've added a parry, which is awesome. I've never felt so cool in a Resident Evil or even a third person shooter for that matter. You can parry almost any attack in the game. You can parry the chainsaw with a kitchen knife. That was nice. That felt so cool. They've added stealth mechanics, which were never in it, which, you know, Resident Evil works really well with stealth. You you know, I, I think many could have guessed that, but it, it fits right in. And they removed the QTEs. If, you know, that's one of the things they've removed. If I don't think anyone was complaining about that one. Quick time events were popularized by Resident Evil 4. At the time, it felt cool and novel. Everyone hates them now. They're overused. They're lazy. That's one of the things I don't think anybody was complaining about removing. They've also kind of the game almost feels like a remix while the opening level kind of feels like that, which served as the demo kind of feels like a one for one remake of the original with just better graphics. As the game goes on, it feels a little more of an NES remix kind of thing. All 
all the characters and plot points and locations are still there, but they've mixed them up in a way that feels like you don't feel like you're playing the game again, you know, the same game again. I think new users and old users will both be playing this for the first time. You may recognize an area or a character, but it won't play out exactly the same as you remember, especially the way the levels are laid out, puzzles are laid out. You are still playing a brand new game in that way. What's the replayability? Is there, can you go back through it with a different character? Resident Evil's fantastic about replayability. The new game plus in these things are great. Not only do you get a lot of really cool costumes that do a lot of cool things, Resident Evil, ever since 4 actually, actually they might have started before that, before it's the first one I remember, where you can get exclusive weapons in the plus games. And most of those are the overpowered stuff, whereas the game is pretty difficult and this one more difficult than I even remember. The second playthrough is more about making you feel that power trip you didn't get to feel the first time. You get to get weapons like the Chicago typewriter, which are essentially a minigun with endless bullets. Right. That's the kind of thing they're going to throw into your hands in a plus game version of this. You're going to want to go back through just so that all those guys that made you feel small the first time just to play with all the fun stuff are going to really eat it this time. <laughs> and just all around, it's a better game. Ashley's less annoying. The uh, There's an auto sort to the inventory if you don't want to deal with the puzzle aspect of that. It's a much more horror oriented than the original. The original was a little action, campy action. This one still has those moments, but it feels a lot scarier, <laughs> and a lot grittier than I remember it being. So this thing's uh, PS4, PS5, Windows, PC, Xbox Series X. And, uh, you know, it's it's came out on the 24th fourth of March. So anyone can play it at this point. Did you play village? Oh, absolutely. That one felt very much to me like the successor to four. It was the spiritual successor to this. And I do feel like they probably used that. I think part of the reason they did that is because they were probably making both at the same time and felt they could double dip on some of the assets. I don't want to make it seem like they're lazy, but you know, it's more of a, they were, they were getting geared up for this. Like they knew they couldn't screw this up. So they wanted some practice first. And I really feel like eight was the, you know, village was the perfect combination of seven and four you know there's a reason that they're almost yeah they're they're companion pieces to an extent they really are they you can see the dna of one in the other and then it cycled back around and now you can see the dna of village in the remake so what i've been playing recently strangely enough i've been back on mass effect 3 multiplayer that is online that's right not talking about legendary edition remake or any of that i'm playing on the wii u baby mass effect 3 was a different game on the wii u in some regard there is still an online multiplayer base there it's still relatively easy to match make there's not a ton of people playing but there's still an online community there for that and a handful of games on the platform now this comes at a strange time because we've just had the closing of the eShop. so it makes me ask in my mind how far behind that is the shutdown of all online for Wii U games. How much is it even up to them? Because EA has always been so great about leaving the servers up for games, as long as it's not sports stuff that they're trying to get you into the next one of. You know, indefinitely, it seems like there's so many great old EA games that you can still hop on there and play, and this is one of them. So I'm making new Wii U friends in 2023, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. But uh, I'm really enjoying playing this again, and I guess it's because it's on the Wii U that I'm enjoying it so much. I don't know why. It's not like the gameplay is that much different than what you would experience on Xbox 360 or PS3. In fact, I'm not even sure how many people are still playing online on those platforms and it might be interesting to check that out in you know future episodes of the YouTube series I do. I'd say give um, Andromeda basically. Uh, ME3's multiplayer was so good that they copy pasted it into Andromeda and that was one of the best parts of that game and I, I would say give that a try if you, if you haven't bought Andromeda yet. The multiplayer was solid. I never even ended 
ended up putting it in because I just grabbed it when it was cheap and put it on the shelf. At that point, everybody had just, you know, verbally destroyed it in reviews for whatever reasons. And I just did not get around to it. I have to admit that some of that probably played into my, you know, putting it to the side and leaving it in the backlog. But yeah, to this day, I still have not played Andromeda and I absolutely love this franchise, as do you. It's been so much fun to go back to Mass Effect 3 just for the feels, just for the old schoolness of it. It's amazing to say that's even old school now. <laughs> and the fact that I can play it on the Wii U, I can play it on a Nintendo console, an outdated one, and still be online and, and be meeting new people playing this game in this day and age. Yeah, the Wii U is really having another moment. Like, you know, a lot of times, especially with Nintendo products, a lot of things get a bad rap at some point, and then they kind of come back around and, and people start to realize how cool they were. And I think that Wii U is having that moment. So that maybe that's why we're seeing more people playing it online right now. I'm seeing that conversation mm-hmm. right back around where people are starting to realize, especially with the shop closing, how cool this thing was. And especially some of the digital stuff that was available, just the, the yeah, virtual console. There's never been any another catalog like it. I know it. And yeah, I've just, I've never stopped enjoying my Wii U. And for all those that didn't buy in on it or are just now getting in on it, I guess, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, but right now it's not gone. So yeah, Mass Effect 3, but anything, get on the Wii U and enjoy that dadgum thing while there's still time. So moving into our last segment of the podcast, what we're looking forward to. James, tell us what you're looking forward to. Well, I'm to. rounding off my very out-of-character AAA Weeks episode. It's not something I do very often. I know I, I usually come in with the weird games, but I'm very AAA this week with Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. This one's been a long time coming, but I figured we'd get to it when the time was right. With the 23-minute gameplay demo that Nintendo dropped this week, feels like that's our cue. So did you guys happen to catch the reveal? I did not. I haven't had time to watch it yet. I, I did, and... You're not going to like my take on it, I don't think. <laughs> well, I'll start off with describing a little bit about it. This has been the fir- the most off-the-rails look we've gotten at it so far. We've seen so many trailers and just guided things where you just didn't really feel like we got a feel for what this game was yet. If for some reason you don't know what Tears of the Kingdom is, it's a sequel to Breath of the Wild, using the same map but modified for a future timeline, similar to how Far Cry New Dawn pushed Far Cry 5's map into the post-apocalypse, or like Majora Ocarina, if you want to look at it that way and keep within the same franchise. They're using a lot of the same assets using the same map but kind of tweaking it a little bit while breath of the wild already added a sense of verticality to the franchise tears definitely looks to be amping that up to 11 with all the sky islands and there's even hints at a potential underground map something like elden ring had eagle eye viewers might even notice that was a z coordinate on the mini map where we've always had the x and y now we have an xyz but the main focus of this demo was definitely on the new toys they've added to the sandbox first they showed us a new rewind power which was mostly just used to uh use a falling rock to rewind it and use it as an elevator to go back into the sky and that was one way that you can access these sky islands but when my brain sees this rewind feature first thing i think somebody throws a bomb or an arrow at me i'm sitting right back at them they didn't show that but that's where i'm gonna go with it first next was uh probably the most exciting new mechanic the one you probably saw the memes about which was uh the fuse feature which kind of came as a double-edged sword alongside the information that durability for weapons is still in the game their answer to that is being able to fuse two items together or weapons together to make a more powerful powerful and more durable one. The ones they showed in the demo, a stick plus a boulder made a big old hammer. A branch plus a pitchfork made an elongated pitchfork with twice the reach. Monster eyeball plus arrow makes a, you know, kind of a heat seeking arrow where the arrow, the eye. That sounds good. That sounds good. Some real cool stuff there. It's tweaking the 
cooking feature from the last game. It, it is. It is. Yeah, it essentially is the cooking feature for the weapons. And that's a it's a good point. I didn't even think about it that way. I must be one of the only people that didn't mind the breaking of the weapons to me. That just I know a lot of people who don't. That added some depth to me. I didn't have a problem with it until the Master Sword broke. And then that just kind of made me weep inside my soul a little bit. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, the Master Sword, it should not, it didn't break, but it, it needed a rest period. Come on. <laughs> I went through a lot of trouble to get this thing. At least let me use it forever. And to an extent, I, you know, you're not the only person to say that. People are analyzing pieces of the map and showing that it doesn't look, you know, the parts they're showing us at least don't look as tweaked as you might think. A lot of them kind of look one for one with a, a little bit, a few tweaks in there. So a lot of people are saying this kind of feels like it could have just been big DLC. But at the same time, this is Nintendo we're talking about. They've taken six years to make this thing. And I just have to trust, uh, you know, in Nintendo's ability to put things out that will wow you. Because as many times as we've come into these Nintendo products thinking uh, there's no way it's going to live up. I didn't think Breath of the Wild was going to live up. And then it comes out and you're like, OK, I, you know, I concede. <laughs> that was really but cool. For every breath, every breath of the wild, there's a Skyward Sword. And that's all I'll say. There was really no hype around Skyward in my, you know, from what I remember, though, it just I felt like the franchise was kind of squandering at that point and it really needed to go somewhere else. But it's a triple A franchise that should never squander. And it, it's squandered. It's squandered yeah. a couple times. I my favorite one, and I'm a weirdo too. So my, you know, obviously the very first game is my favorite game, but my second favorite game is the Wind Waker. And was I want game. another. I want. I want a grown up Wind Waker. I want teenage adult Link in Wind Waker style. I agree. I kind of wish Nintendo was pulling a, a you know a Mario on these things. I wish they had an A team and a B team. I wish Wild Pizza. You know, like when they were doing the 2D and the 3D 3D games at the same time with Mario. And they were both kind of like going through cycles and one would re release a 2D game and then one would release a 3D game and vice versa. And it just kept going on for a while. I kind of wish Zelda would do that. I would like to see more traditional Zelda games. I really missed the dungeons in Breath of the Wild. That's another big question that this demo just didn't answer. Are we going to get real dungeons this time? Yeah, I mean, we just had you know puzzles last time. Yeah, that's a good question. We don't know. And I, I really hope we do because that's a quintessential part of a Zelda game. And I feel like that was missing from the last one but it doesn't look like we're, go we're going to have our uh, prediction of a new switch that it goes with yeah they even announced that you know they showed at the end of the announcement the tears of the kingdom oled you know kind of putting the nail in the coffin for a switch pro or anything like that coming out alongside it right which you know that'll probably have some nice graphics on it and look pretty cool and like its own standout console nintendo's really great about making their special editions very yeah special the PS5 that I picked up is the God of War edition, and you couldn't distinguish it in the lineup from a regular PS5. And that makes me sad. There should be at least a badging of somewhat on the console to be like, this one was the God of War edition. Well, regardless of what happens, that OLED is going to be launching May 12th right alongside the game. And, you know, whether I got reservations about it or not, who am I kidding? I'll be there day one. No lifing this thing like I haven't a game since Elden Ring launch. Oh, of course. Guess who's <laughs> going to buy it? Me. I'm going to complain about it, but I'm going to buy it. Don't don't think they're not going to get my money. So, Captain, why don't you tell us what you are looking forward to? What's coming up for you? What's coming up for me personally is I was just at the Texas Pinball Festival this past weekend in um, Frisco, Texas, and had a great time. Fun. And there was a, tables there, vendors doing all kinds of things. I picked up a Street Fighter II Hyper Fighting board Ooh. for my Street Fighter II arcade. So now I've got Champion Edition and Hyper Fighting that I can get a switcher and play between those two. So that's going to be fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to 
to MLB The Show 23. It has uh, it dropped on the 28th, technically the early edition, but I'm going to wait till the regular edition comes out, which I believe is the first uh, or maybe Mar- Mar- March 31st or April 1st, one of the two. It's coming up soon here. Uh, but really what I'm looking forward to is a GameCube game that I picked up at the festival for 30 bucks, and it's a complete in-box copy of Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem, which I know is a much more expensive game than that. I, yeah, it's a hell of a deal. I haggled the guy down. I bought a couple other things from him and got this price, you know, to where I wanted it, uh, basically, after buying a couple other things. But I've, I've owned this game at least three times now, and you know me, I buy and sell and buy and sell, but I want to play this finally. So I've got the GameCube ready to go, and we're going to sit down and check out Eternal Darkness uh, Sanity's Requiem. It is a 2002 Nintendo developed by Silicon Knights game, but put out by Nintendo, the first M-rated mature title that Nintendo produced, really. All I've ever heard is good things about this. The game follows the story of Alexandra Royvis, a young woman who inherits her grandfather's mansion after his mysterious death. As she investigates the mansion, she discovers a book that leads her on a journey through time and space, encountering ancient civilizations, demons, and other creatures from beyond the veil of reality. Which, wow, you know, that sounds great. There's a sanity meter, apparently, in the game where you have to keep your character calm from things scaring them and or you and doing things during the game will drop your sanity meter and eventually you can go insane i guess and it leads to visual and audio hallucinations uh, control reversals other disturbing effects throughout the game i've i've heard the phantom story of people thinking that their memory card had been wiped or that their save game file was gone all kinds of fun like that that the machine was like locked up and and fakes you out like that i can't wait to actually sit down and play it that's play so it. ahead of its time too you see that kind of stuff in your undertales and your you know pony island it's kind of like commonplace to for the game to mess with you in that way to meta mess with you these days but that's so ahead of its time right and a 20 year old game doing it is way ahead of its time and i you know i knew when i've owned the game before i knew it did those things i think i actually have sat down and played maybe the first 30 45 minutes or so and then never went back to it kind of thing just didn't get around to it and ended up selling it but this time i'm gonna make a concerted effort to play through the game and give you all a review on it next on the next podcast yeah it's a classic i mean for a, a, a sanity meter to be in a nintendo nintendo published game that makes it interesting in and of itself so i'm going to tell you about what i'm looking forward to and i've only just found out this exists We're getting a new Fairy Fencer game. Fairy Fencer F Refrain Chord is coming, and I am absolutely stoked about this. Coming to Nintendo Switch, PS4, and PS5. Now, Fairy Fencer F was a game that you just did not hear much about. It came out on PS3 there at the tail end, and then they remastered it, the uh, the Dark Advent version for PS4. I ended up with copies of both. Really great game. Is this NIS? So this is Idea Factory publishing this uh, new game. Fairy Fencer was actually uh, Compile Heart. Oh, which I'm a compile guy all the way back to Golvelius Valley yeah. of Doom on yeah. the Sega Master say, System. So, uh, yeah, I'm in. Man. But it was an action RPG kind of... It had similar gameplay to the Hyper Dimension games, you know, Omega Quintet, uh, Tokyo Mirage, stuff like that, where it's not complete open world. You've got certain regions that you explore, but the combat was really really cool it had very intuitive combat systems cool story and really cool development systems and likable characters this isn't just like okay there's a new one they're they're really changing this up here they're making it a tactics rpg 
Okay, so yeah, yeah, so you know I'm already <laughs> in on this. They're obviously not the first to do this. If Final Fantasy Tactics taught us anything, it's games can become tactics RPGs and just keep right on rocking and maybe be the best versions of themselves, arguably. So I'm very excited to see how this plays out. There's already trailers available to watch, but uh, I'm stoked that this is uh, that this is a thing. I would have been stoked anyway, I guess is the point, because I really enjoyed Fairy Fencer F. This and so many other games, if you want to make them into tactics rpgs let's go any of the games i compared it to if you want to make those into tactics rpgs let's do it i just can't believe that i'm seeing this and i have to find out about it from amazon amazon's not my news outlet right or at least it shouldn't be and we're getting into a bit of a side note here but thanks for speculatory nintendo switch news tubers out there making 400 videos on metroid and stuff but you know can I always have to hear about stuff like this on Amazon. That's how we found out about Dokapon as well. Just these, some of these third party Japanese companies that don't have a lot of US appeal just don't advertise. And I feel like they should because I know I brought Dokapon to my friends group and I got four pre orders <laughs> for that company that day just because they heard they were making one. Right. And, you know, they also dropped on the Switch a, uh, a new release of Record of Agorist War, which if you've ever played that, another fantastic tactics RPG. That was a super cool game. I had no idea they were making another one. Right. What are these shadow drops? I mean, this stuff's dropping in like Black Ops agents. Right. I'm the demographic. I should know about this. <laughs> Again, nobody's okay. And I, again, I understand it. I mean, the tubers got to talk about the games that are going to get the views, but nobody said anything about this coming out. I got to find out secondhand by seeing it on Amazon, and that's already dropped. And it's like, man, I'd, I'd have pre ordered that. Talking about it, it even had a collector's edition. So just absolutely crazy, but not to get off track. We're getting Fairy Fencer F Refrain Chord, and we're getting it soon. It was going to drop July 4th. The date's already been pushed up to May 11th, and I only know that because I've got my pre-order in and the date has changed. So it's doing that right before my eyes. Pushed up is a good sign. It's a good sign, and uh, sometimes it's not for certain games. But for a game like this, to me, it just means they're done, and why not get it out there? Uh, if you didn't play the first one, I believe that Fairy Fencer F, uh, the Dark Advent version on PS4, I believe that went free to play at one point on uh you know psn probably isn't now but i would imagine in the uh, psn shop that's probably pretty cheap and it's definitely worth checking out for anybody that likes rpgs fantastic art style and again a really cool and intuitive combat system but yeah I'm excited to play Fairy Fencer F in tactics mode. It's going to be very cool and it's coming very soon. This series has always seemed like it was in my wheelhouse, but I've never actually played one. Does this appear to be a good jumping on point? From the tactics standpoint, you mean jumping in there? Yeah. I mean, I could argue yes, because any tactics game, I think that as a jumping in point, you're going to enjoy it no matter what it is, but you are going to have characters in this that you would otherwise not be familiar with. So it might be worth your time to go ahead and play Fairy Fencer F itself before playing this, but I wouldn't say you have Witcher 3. You could do it, but maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Is this something that someone like me would get into? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. No, no, just being honest, I, I don't I don't know that it would be. I mean, these these uh these niche RPGs, JRPG games, they're not for everybody and they get pretty wacky in some regards. And there would probably be a lot of elements with it that I don't know, just you personally may not G Hall with, but hell I could be wrong. I can tell you though that Omega Quintet, Tokyo Mirage were two games I mentioned that had similar play styles, and a lot of people that liked RPGs, I heard 
did not think those were good games. And I disagree. I like them very much. So again, not just talking to you specifically, these, this may not be for everybody, but I think it is, even though it does lean in a little bit heavier on its combat and grinding than it does its exploration. In my opinion, that may be where it falls flat for some, the story and the character aspect is definitely there and it drives the game just fine. That's going to do it for another fantabulous episode of the Modern Core Gamer Podcast. Had a great talk on this one. As always, I want to thank you guys for being here. Thanks so much, James, for being here for this episode. Always a pleasure. And Captain, thanks so much for everything you always bring to the table. You are welcome. And thanks, as always, to you, the listener. Hope you all are enjoying this podcast. Participate in the polls. If you're listening on Spotify, a follow would be great. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating would be fantabulous. Let us know what you think of the show. And follow us on Twitter for updates at Modern Core Gamer. We're having such a great time, and we're bringing so much fantabulous stuff to you each and every time, each and every episode. MC Murr signing out for this podcast fantastic episode. We'll see all of you on the next one.